Great pass from Diamantidis. The lob is done! There go, 40 minutes to a title. David Blue to three. On the mark, David Blue! Oh, the tire! Now Spinelli's driving inside. Look for the alley Corey Higgins just exploding! EuroLeague Sweet 16. Exactly what you need. As ever, we are up on SoundCloud and we are, of course, uh, on wherever you get good podcasts. So be sure to search for EuroLeague Sweet 16 to subscribe and get the episodes as soon as they drop. Hello and welcome to EuroLeague Sweet 16. I'm Ryan and joining me, all of us together for once, first time this season, we have Aris Barkas in Greece, Lewis Cameron in Scotland, and Moshe Barda in Israel. Aris, how are you, man? I'm great, uh, Emmett, and uh, it's glad to be back and uh, meet all of you, even via Zoom. Absolutely. Moshe, how's life in Israel, man? I'm good, and um, I'm actually, I'm thrilled to to have the, that's like a full roster for the first time this year. Absolutely, and Lewis giving out some real mid-90s dad vibes with his baseball cap on backwards on this Zoom. Uh, how are you doing in Scotland, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm not going to lie. I woke up and I thought, well, will I shower before the podcast or will I not? And I thought, nah, not happening. So hat on to hide the, the, the bed here, so to speak. Well, uh, for those of you listening, if I don't sound my normal self, I am on the backside of a pretty nasty flu, uh, which uh, was, but I missed Ireland's international last week, which is very annoying because uh, I didn't want to be patient zero at the National Basketball Arena <laughs> is a short version. And uh, it proved to be correct because I got much worse through the night that night. I'm feeling better now, but my voice is still not quite its usual dulce itself. So obviously we have quite a bit to get through this week and it's going to be a bit more fun though because we have all of us to do it. It's kind of, we can't ignore the elephant in the room though, which is obviously the league isn't quite what we think it is anymore, which is there are three teams who for the time being are not going to be playing and reasonable to guess that time being could well and most likely will last to the end of this season. And Lewis, I suppose, we're obviously there are non-basketball reasons for us. We're going to try and stick with the basketball side as much as we can though. And uh, like on the court, what do you think is going to be the biggest impact here? I mean, I, I think given the last 24 hours in basketball, the biggest problem is going to be the win-loss column because some teams, we, we spoke about it yesterday off air, some teams have had freak results against Russian teams. Shout out to Monaco, who apparently can't win anywhere except Russia. Like, yeah, because that's the thing about Lewis. Like, Monaco obviously doing very well against Russian teams who are no longer counting towards the standings, so we believe. Fenner very similar in their situation, like very, very good record against Russian teams. That's going to hurt them in the standings. It's it's going to cause some people to be a bit upset, Moshe, isn't it? No matter what no matter what res- resolution is, people are going to be upset. First of all, you know, no one, you can never, uh, well, you can, uh, you can try and achieve, you know, and, and, and hope that everyone will be pleased with whatever solution you're, you're suggesting. And it, you know, it's true to pretty much almost every situation, but it's almost never achievable. And Monaco and Fed are obviously not happy because if you're looking at the previous uh, uh, suggestion that was made, it said, we're going to avoid all the games. And obviously some teams would be happier than others. Um, but I, I think that even if Monaco are, and, and Fenner initiated that this move, you know, trying to, to change uh, the way that the, the final standings will be, um, will be calculated, uh, shall we say? Like I just implied, I think the Monaco are in a much, much worse place than they realize they're really in. Because at the end of the day, they play 28 games. And all teams 
or you know, it, it means that right now they played three games more than Maccabi and Fenner. And after last night, also three games more than uh, than Byron. It was four, but still, it's like the way you see things. There's like only two game, uh, um, two game, two, two wins, two an advantage over the other teams, and they have much more games, much more ground to cover. So yeah, and like, and like Iris is the thing because you know whether it's win percentage or voided results, either way, people are going to be annoyed. And I suppose it's almost very early that no matter what, people are going to be annoyed, right? Well, first of all, it's a luxury for us to talk about basketball and uh, speaking about uh, the standings that may annoy anyone while there is a war, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, so first of all, I think that uh, this is, uh, let's say, a test of power and influence because, uh, uh, to be honest, there are two teams that are pushing for the winning percentage uh, formula, and those teams are Fenerbahce and Monaco, which believe in for a right reason that uh, if they just forfeit the results of the games against the Russian teams, they are in a worse situation. However, I think that uh, this is just a footnote. You know, it's not that big of an issue right now. I think that the main issue here is that uh, we probably won't see the Russian teams returning to the EuroLeague in the foreseeable future and uh, when you talk about foreseeable future that unfortunately may mean also next season so yes there is a playoff race but uh, now with uh, suddenly having 15 teams because i believe that uh, there is no way that until the end of the month the whole war situation will be normalized and russian teams will be back in the euroleague uh, with the rest of the teams waiting them with open arms. So I think that now with 15 teams and more than half of them making it to the playoffs, I think that uh, there is a renewed interest in the race in general. And uh, there are at least, uh, uh, let's say, nine or 10 teams that can hope to make it. So who has a small advantage or not, it's something that uh, at least in my book is not that big. Of course, I wish that in the end all sides will be satisfied, but we know for sure that that's not the case in most issues in the EuroLeague. So the big problem here is that uh, suddenly we scratch Russia out. For some observers, that's for the greater good and... uh, uh, it's an, the natural evolution of things, uh, given that there is a war. And uh, the EuroLeague, uh, after surviving COVID, uh, has to uh, endure a blow that uh, creates a ton of issues. A ton of issues, uh, because in theory, that will be the last season of Jordi Bertomeu on the helm of the EuroLeague. However, one of the biggest critics of Jordi Bertomeu during the last few months is Jessica Moscow. With Jessica Moscow out of the picture, the balance of uh, the power may change and a lot of things may happen in the near future. And uh, suddenly we have a EuroLeague that is equally interesting outside of the court uh, compared to what is being uh, happening on the court. On a lighter note, I'm happy to have... Uh, the final four in Belgrade because I can't even drive there. 
And with the price of the airline's tickets being what they are, I think that uh, there is a fair assumption that ultimately, if you can go by car, it's better. So well, I've got to ask, like, how long a drive is it for you from like Athens to Belgrade? Would you say, Aris? Because that sounds a good. It still sounds like it's a good drive. I think that it's it's something like twelve hours, thirteen hours. Yeah, like that's long, but like nowhere near as bad as I was fearing. Like I would have. Yes, the the, the 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 trick is to combine it with a night in Thessaloniki. Ah, so nice. so it gets to a much more manageable seven to eight hours drive. Okay, as someone who actually made a drive almost nonstop from Orlando to Key West, which took me about nine and a half hours, I think, uh, straight. Aris, how are you feeling about carpooling? Uh, we, we will see because suddenly airline tickets uh, in Greece uh, from Athens to Belgrade uh, ha- had their, pli- their price inflated by 200%. So we will see. I got I to check on this because, first of all, as you guys noticed, we didn't record an episode for like, what, two weeks, three weeks? Mm. And the circumstances, the way I see it, are the ones that kind of, it didn't feel right, quite right to do that, to record an episode during the weeks. I mean, we had the cup week, then we had the war, of course, still having the war. But I'm going to raise the stakes a bit about what Ars just said. I mean, not, not the prices. There is no need to inflate the prices even more uh, because they are um, surprisingly and shockingly more expensive. Uh, I, I want to talk about the bigger picture here, the aftermath. Because right now, we are looking at a reality that is going to, um, of course, basketball reality, that's going gonna to have an impact, not only on teams, also players, also contracts, also uh, uh, basketball agents. We're talking about LOCs, which is letter of clearance. We're talking about perhaps the CAS in Switzerland. We're talking maybe also about the FIBA arbitration. There, there's like a lot to cover and a lot of, of very, shall we say, sensitive topics that could become an issue. But I think first and foremost, it's knowing that we have shift changing powers kind of thing in Europe, knowing that we're about to lose four mega dominant financial powerhouses. And we're going, we have like essentially new spots opened and this means that also salaries might go down because of it, because the, the teams are going to take the, those places, not necessarily. Uh, Lewis would like to chime in, I believe, here. Yes, and I will let it and, and I will tag him in in a second. All I'm saying is that I cannot keep a straight face now. Thank you, Lewis. <laughs> OK, I think I just broke my printer doing that. But yeah, worth it. Uh, fuck agents. Um like, don't care about the agents. Most of them are, I mean, let's face it, you're talking about letters of consent and things like that. I've had enough dealings with agents to know they will all threaten your, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to FIBA, we'll do this, do that. Buy a lottery ticket. Like, honestly, like the FIBA arbitration process is an absolute farce. I have, quote unquote, and I've no problem sharing this story, but I won't share the player. I have been in an airport with a player after he has retired and he has got his FIBA payment from a team he played for nearly a decade before. So no, like, don't, don't, don't start me with, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll take you to FIBA, we'll do this, do that. These contracts are not worth the paper they're written on. Yeah, so no, it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, it's probably in the interest of the bigger picture for these Russian teams to say, 
let the players go because I think we're all in agreement. I think most of European basketball is in agreement. We're not seeing these Russian teams in Euroleague next year. We're not seeing them in continental no, no, competition. Not, yeah. And also coaches. And, and also coaches. And the coaches, yeah. So, I mean, the VTB League, I haven't followed the news. I don't even know if that's still a thing. It is. Because teams, teams were pulling out left, right and centre. I mean, look, Zenit asked their guys to come back for the VTB League game. They come back, though. Look, look, Zenit being totally realistic is signing players from uh, the Russian Super League. I could not uh, totally raise the possibility that uh, some guy who has a big contract uh, somehow returns to Russia and play. However, in most cases, I think that it will be very, very, very strange to see what's going on uh, in Russia until we get into the summer because now all the teams, all the Euroleague teams and all the and Lokomotiv which is playing in the Euro Cup are trying to assess the situation and practically clean up their houses. So we will see where they stand financially and in the summer we will be able to understand what really going on. So far, uh, I think that Russian basketball will also be a casualty of war. And I'm not mentioning uh, only the fact that uh, there might be a ban, like it's happening with FIBA, with the Russian national teams on all levels being excluded from uh, FIBA competitions. I mean that uh, it's not a secret that uh, the money involved in... uh, uh, Russian uh, basketball was coming uh, straight from uh, big pocket, uh, big pocketed owners and uh, companies that wanted to spend money in sports. So, for example, if there is no Gazprom behind Zenit, uh, suddenly we're talking for a totally different situation. If uh, there is no risk nickel, uh, there is not no risk nickel in uh, behind CSKA, then Cheseka uh, is, is not going to be what it was. It's as simple as that. And uh, the issue here is not that uh, those companies don't have money to invest to basketball. The money that they're giving uh, for basketball compared to the revenues of this company, the magnitude of those companies is a joke. The problem here is that uh, during a war crisis and uh, uh, with the world probably entering, uh, even if that sounds totally strange, to a new Cold War era, I'm not so sure that those companies and the way that uh, things work in Russia will be focused in sports anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, like, it's, you know, safe to say, like, we're not looking at, like, the three Russian teams, uh, and obviously most is referring as a fourth one to Lokomotiv Kuban, who are EuroCup. We're not seeing them next season. And like Maris is saying, this could be long-term effects across what Russian basketball may or will be going forward. So if we could look at sort of what we think, uh, we were all spitballing yesterday. We all largely came to the same conclusions of what we would expect to happen next year. One of which is Monaco probably just automatically stay up no matter what they perform in EuroLeague. And then you're looking at realistically barring an interloper which i know lewis has one interloper very much in mind that he'd like 
it'll be Virtus, Partizan and Valencia with the from Euro Cup with two of them plausibly being finalists and a third getting a wild card. Uh, Lewis, of course, there's one interloper you're not only hopeful of, you're confident in. I mean, yeah, I actually I actually sat last night after I got back from the cinema and I thought I need I need to look at this properly. And there's probably a few names missing off that list, unfortunately, because obviously Euro Cup have changed their format and they went with this Euroleague format of oh, we'll have a group of ten and eight of you will qualify, which is madness. But I digress. So Virtus are fifth in their group. Partizan are second. Unfortunately, due to Locomotive being taken out effectively, they have now got a game back in Badalona, which is less than ideal. Gran Canaria are top of the standings and Baruchnos are hovering around and they've got results against the big teams. Now, I think we'd all be in agreement. Gran Canaria have zero interest in making the EuroLeague. Been there, done that, they know it's a disaster. Yeah, not not having the Russian teams probably changes that perspective travel wise, but from a cost element, no. The Duknost, yeah, they they probably could be a Euroleague team, but realistically, you are looking at probably Virtuous Partizan and then Badalona or Valencia, which I, I mean, worst case scenario for probably Euroleague is the final in Euro Cup is Badalona Valencia. Because then they've got to admit they've got to do the, the thing they hate the most and admit two extra Spanish teams. Mm, mm. Yes, and that and that has to do also with the results, you know, because if uh, the situation right now is really simple, Zenit had a wild card, so uh, the Euroleague has one wild card to give to give if we consider the fact that the other wild card is still reserved for whoever wins the ABBA League, uh, which is not set in stone. This is the politics of EuroLeague so far. There is no provision for that. This is something that's uh, uh, not even a gentleman's agreement. It's something that the EuroLeague is, does in order to keep its footing in, in this area. Uh, the the other place that has to be filled, the place of Unix, comes for, from EuroCup. So, for sure, uh, there will be one open spot from EuroCup and probably a second one unless Monaco makes it to the playoffs. So, the real issue here is what will happen with the A license of Ceseca. Because the, the, there is no formula for Ceseca to stay out of the joint venture with IMG, and there is no formula for uh, replacing an A license. So th this is something that the teams will be decided. That's why we are focusing on those three clubs, because those three clubs are ready EuroLeague material. It's as simple as that. Virtus was created from uh, its ashes, and uh, in order to be a EuroLeague team, by the moment they signed Milos Teodosic, Partizan, hired Zeliko Bradovic for the same reason, and uh, Valencia may be in a situation that there is an elevator between the EuroLeague and the EuroCup for them. However, the general consensus is that they are too big of a club for the EuroCup. They might be there, but it's obvious that they are meant for bigger things, and that is proven on the court, uh, uh, in the league and Desa, in every in every venue that they are playing. So that's why we're focusing on those three teams. However, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a, 
uh, a team in the Eurocup that makes it to the finals and it's not one of those three. Or if there is a surprise in the ABBA League, I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately we see some other teams getting uh, there in the Euroleague. But the, the, the general line of thought right now is that those three teams are ready to be part of the Euroleague, either are replacing, are replacing as replacement teams or as teams that have qualified via the Eurocup. Uh, and uh, I think that no, nobody disagrees on that. You know, there, there, there have been a lot of talk about an expansion of the Euroleague in order to include some of those clubs. Uh, however, now with the Russian teams out, I'm not so sure that uh, that's the case anymore. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you on this. Like the expansion seemed inevitable before before the war, you know, started, uh, and and it seemed as the right move because you know it's like you said, you had the the, the Virtus Bologna, the party. They were making moves that were, you know, you could say for a fact these are yearly moves. That's like we're striving to be in the yearly. But again, I, I really think, and I, it, we also covered this in our WhatsApp group, is. Like the, the financial situation is going to change so much. It's like if you guys remember when the when the Euroleague just formed, like we're talking now 21, 22 years almost. It's like the financial powers were so different. And we've seen the amounts, the currencies, like how it changed the entire competition, how it created, like everyone knew that obviously Barcelona and Real Madrid, they have the money, but we saw also other teams rising to the point that we actually had big gaps in terms of, say, the, the part that you had in terms of luring in talent. And now it seems as if we're going back like about a decade or more in terms of we have second-tier EuroLeague teams that are going to be capable of capitalizing on this situation to create a more balanced kind of thing, shall I say? There's probably an argument for that. Also, we've spoke about guys in Euroleague right now, so your your Will Clyburns, et cetera, who will have to move to other teams. That obviously, I use Will Clyburn because I think we'd all be shocked if he didn't end up at one of the football clubs, mainly because it's a position of need for them, but also they can, they can lump up the cash. Yeah. The flip side of that argument is, a lot of talks we made about guys coming back from the NBA, your your Facus, your Hernan Gomez brothers, a certain player that I would very much like to see back in Europe and wearing green. That wouldn't be a surprise. I believe he's recently tore his ACL. But are these guys going to come back if the salaries are lower? I mean, some of them probably will because they're getting to that point in their careers. Other guys, okay, they come back, they take the money. But then there's the trickle-down effect of your, your role players, if you will, are a little less glorified and they're getting a little less cash in the bank. But if I'll use them as an example, if Nigel Williams goes, okay, he gets paid all right in Madrid, but he won't be a starter. He won't be a star. Could he, could he go to your Valencia's? Could he go to your Baruchnos, go to one of these other teams who will pay him like a star? So you'll probably end up seeing players that with all due respect, traditionally you would say are too good for the team that they're on, but, they're getting paid well enough to be there. So you'll see a, a better distribution of talent. So you'll probably see a lot more freak results. 
No, I, I agree on the better distribution of talents. I mean, you still have your Pangos, your Lloyds, your Mickeys, your, there's still a hell of a lot more talent that's going on right now. I mean, think of, of the talent that, that is leaving Cheska, that, that's bound to leave Zenit and Kazan, right? You have your John Browns, your Lorenzo Browns, you have Mario Zonia. Like, there's so much talent going on right now that once, you know, all these contracts, the, the situation will be resolved for, you know, all of them, then we, we're, we're about to see uh, what I believe, something very interesting in the old continent. Uh, yeah, like, I think we're going to see a lot of player movement, Moshe. It's going to, like Lewis was saying, you're going to see situations where clubs get a player probably of a standard higher than they'd usually get. Uh, but I think the other thing to watch out for there is, though, if, you know, a player would be a 3-4 option at Real, you know, maybe moving into a one-option at Valencia would be good for him, but maybe it'd be the reverse. And likewise, sometimes a guy who has a one-option at Valencia isn't suited to a 3-4 option at Real, like in terms of sort of, you know, positions of, of, of importance. So there's going to be some fluctuations along the way, but I think it'll all balance out and hopefully make for more interesting basketball. Aris? Well, it's it's too complicated, and uh, I, I had uh, uh, a really interesting talk with uh, Nicolo Melli, and we touched the subject. And uh, you know, Nicolo Melli could have stayed in the NBA for sure, but uh, uh, ultimately, what he said was that you know what I I did make it to the NBA. I played in the NBA, but I for my personal situation, uh, the result was that I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy playing in the NBA. So for sure you will have players that are totally NBA caliber for whatever reason returning to Europe. And you will have also uh, US imports who are good enough to make it to the NBA that are forced to play in Europe simply because they they didn't land in the right situation in the NBA and they couldn't make their mark and they couldn't get something better than uh, uh, just fill a roster spot. So so that that will not change. W what will change is that uh, uh, I guess you will see less of a competition for the top contracts. And also what is strange is that while the EuroLeague market of uh, players and agents loses three big spenders the euroleague as a financial organization without the russian teams doesn't lose that much yes there is a loss of sponsor in the vtb bank but the deal wasn't that lucrative and also the television rights of euroleague in russia was a joke i think that they were paying something like uh, 200 euros, 200,000 euros, okay, of course, not. <laughs> just 200 euros, but if you compare the numbers, it's close. So it's a very peculiar situation and it ultimately ends up to, to, to Euroleague to, to finally find the next step with all the fuss being made with Jordi Bertameu being pushed out and with the teams want, wanting to have uh, an even bigger role in shaping the future of the league. So I think that it, it, it's a very, very, very strange situation because if you look outside the NBA 
now with what is happening in China, the money spent in total in the Euroleague can't be compared to any other league. We talk about the level of play with the NBL in Australia. We talk about uh, the fact that uh, some U.S. imports get a lot of money in China, and now there is a Jap- the league, uh, the Japanese league. Uh, sorry, but I don't know, remember by heart uh, what are their initial. And Japan is uh, emerging as a league that really pays up and. Uh, will be interesting for a lot of guys either from the US or from Europe. However, if you look at the budgets of the EuroLeague clubs, there is no comparison with other clubs nowhere in the world. And of course, if you look at the NBA uh, rosters and uh, their budget uh, compared to what a team in the EuroLeague is spending, also, there is no comparison in, in this case. So I think that uh, either we start from scratch, and that's not the case in Europe, or uh, there is a market uh, that will still thrive and be the main uh, exporter of NBA talent for the near future. Uh, and ultimately, what drives the price up is the competition from the NBA. We'll see a lot of players from Europe living in any way, in any age and in any capacity for the NBA, simply because the financial uh, uh, compensation in the NBA will be huge compared to what they are gaining in the EuroLeague. Yeah, uh, we've got one other issue I think we really need to talk about, and that is, uh, so it's the thing we've been talking around a lot today, that is... uh, I'm going to talk about it from one person's perspective. That is uh, Alexander Brasciuta, our friend Alex in Ukraine. Um, I've had the fortune to speak with Alex, uh, say fortune is the odd word, uh, a few times the past couple of weeks since all of this uh, horrible stuff started, this war, and uh, for my day job, I've been getting sort of first-hand reports from him to publish in that paper, um, the Business Post, uh, you know, from what it's like for life for him in Kiev. And he's surprisingly, well, upbeat's the wrong word, but he's handling a lot better than I would. I can say that for certain. And, uh, you know, he's still making sure he finds ways to watch basketball, which I think is uh, impressive, extraordinary, and I suppose healthy, uh, considering the circumstances. Uh, he, we were chatting about him watching the Promete game uh, the other day against uh, Clues. They lost, obviously, uh, but uh, he managed to get that. He managed to watch the Ukraine national team uh, against Spain. And... Yeah, it's 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 obviously very tough for uh, for all of us who are friends with Alex, uh, just like from afar, but uh, not comparable to how tough it is for him with everything in like not even remotely. Like there's no words for how comparable it is for him where it is uh, in Kiev. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to sort of obviously bring that up. And with Alex, obviously, I know because I've been saying sending all the love from the guys uh, throughout. Like you know, because whenever I talk to him, saying you know, Aris, Lewis, Moshe, all send their best to him, but. Uh, we're obviously going to do that here on the show as well. We do all send our best to Alex. But it's, I suppose, in one way, heartening to be able to talk to him because, you know, we're all journalists in various respects and, like, you know, various ways we do it in our lives. And 
you know, for me, I've been fortunate in my life. I've had to have been able to have an extremely varied career in what I cover. Uh, you know, basketball obviously being what most of you know me for. I do tech, I write about alcohol, I write about travel, I write about uh, all sorts of things. I write about some of the most interesting and worst people in the world in part of my job. And uh, occasionally get to write about some of the nicest people in the world. And uh, Alex is one of them for sure. And being able to share his thoughts and just what it's like there in Kiev has been a real privilege for me the last couple of weeks, uh, being able to like sort of, you know, convert our conversations into pieces by him. And on that, I just want to bring that up and say my best. And I know Moshe, you want, want to get in here and say a couple of words. Yeah, man, I mean, Alex is our friend. Uh, you know, the, the fondest memories of the Final Four, the, the Final Four is plural, you know, plural, that we actually, we were sitting down with him for drinks and you really get to know this great guy. And now you're talking to him in a very, um, it's not even peculiar situation. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's, it's strange that we're in 2022 and in an area that had no, like, say, previous kind of war, kind of conflict, kind of thing that is ongoing and never ending. And all of a sudden, you, you, you find yourself in this kind of surreal situation and um, you wake up every day and you hope that your friend is, is okay. And you text him to see how's he doing. And I just, you know, the, the one thing I do want is, and, and you guys know this because we, we keep talking about it, that every year we, we kind of plan ahead for the Final Four because for us, aside of the, the festivity, it is a great chance for us all to meet and sit down for, for a cold one and just discuss great things and happy things. And it, it's, it's kind of different, it's kind of strange that we have to, to do it in this kind of way right now. And I do wish for, uh, for Alex to be, to be safe, to be, uh, to be good and healthy and for us to, to be able to see him soon in person. And Lewis, obviously, I know you've been out with Alex with us, with the, your dad, like, you know, sort of the, the jokes around, like, Lewis's dad is a European basketball dad. I'm the Irish ambassador for basketball in EuroLeague. Right. Uh, the Belgrade night out. The Belgrade night out. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a beautiful segue, actually. To... And, and I was going to say, and I was going to say, Alex is often the Ukraine basketball ambassador to EuroLeague as well, like, you know. Yeah, no, it's 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 horrible to see. And it's, it's the, the only thing I think to say is during the summer, I'll open Twitter and the thing I want to see is Gemma DeLucas tweeting something, hopefully something nice about my team. Right now, I'm opening Twitter every day, just hoping to see Alex still tweeting um, to be totally us. And that way, you know, he's he's safe and relatively well. Um, long may that continue. And hopefully we'll get a beer soon after all of this is done. Yeah, that's like been the one thing I've noticed from anyone I've said to about this is because like I tell everybody about like sort of you know we, you know, we have our the Saturday night and or, or if it's an earlier in a tournament you know night out, night out where you know all the journalists get together and meet and I suppose the one thing I think it's safe to say that next time we see Alex he's not buying. Oh, yes, definitely. totally, total, totally, and uh, you know uh, we are all friends with Alex and uh, yes he's holding out great and. Uh, I am sick and tired of people, uh, especially in social media, saying that, uh, uh, well, our generation experienced war. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> you know, uh, I have friends from Serbia and I have a friend from Ukraine, Nolex. Those are the guys who are really experienced, uh, experiencing war. You know, it's silly to think that... Uh, 
yes, the financial repercussions, etc., is making you a part of war. War is a very cruel thing, and uh, it's totally disrespectful to those guys that had to live uh, in bomb shelters uh, to 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 tell them that you have experienced war. No, it's a very a very cruel thing, and uh, nobody should experience it. Tell me about it. It sucks. Honestly, it sucks. Yes. The one thing I want to say is like, I've listened to uh, Andrea Trinchieri's, I think it was post-game interview after the, the German league game. And he said something about, you know, us as, you know, in the world, not, not learning from, from the past. And when you think about it, it hits you so hard that it, it gets you to start wondering, like, have we failed or how have we failed to the point where we are in 2022 and this happens? Well, I suppose there's a line from um, Merry Christmas to Lawrence, a film about British POWs in Japan that comes to mind, which is we're all victims of men who think they are right. And I think that's uh, an appropriate way to, de to describe it. And uh, to close up this particular portion, just want to say again, on behalf of all four of us, Alex, we love you. We wish you the best. And we're hoping for the best for you as well, man. We are going to try and finish the show off on a somewhat positive note, though, and that is looking at the actual basketball that is to come. Uh, you know, there are games to come. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of tension in my voice, but I, I will be honest, it's mostly still this uh, comical flu recovery, uh, which is uh, just, you know, ludicrous. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much over the symptoms. It's just my voice is not remotely returned. Uh, shout out to my flatmate for looking after me during the week, by the way. Uh, you know, so it's Wait, like... Your voice, your voice. You can do the McConaughey right now. You know that. All right, all right, all right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're going to pick our games for the games of the week. And, uh, you know, obviously there's, like, you know, some interesting matchups, putting it mildly. So as, as ever, I'll ask the chaps to uh, pick their two games to watch from each night. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, it's a slightly different split to normal because of, well, slightly different to normal. Different, but it's going to remain like this going forward. So it's a 4-2 split. Uh, this week and uh, the four games on Thursday are Zvezda host Maccabi, Asvel host Basconia, Alba host Olympiacos and Real host Milano and the two games on Friday are Zalgiris in Barcelona and Monaco versus FS. I will uh, go first in my two games to watch are Real and Milano on Friday night, say Thursday night. I just think it's going to be a good game of basketball. Uh, nothing particularly complicated to it. Like they're both doing quite well, obviously, in the standings. But, you know, I just think they'll play good basketball against each other. And uh, Zalgiris versus Barcelona, like to me, whenever this is on a docket, it's a safe pick for me because it's usually chaos no matter where the teams are. Like you could literally have, the, you know, the four of us on this call plus one guy who picked up off the street playing in Zalgiris or Barcelona jerseys, uh, whichever we want to pick. And the game's going to be crazy, uh, you know, even with that. So I'm going with that. And obviously also you throw in, you know, the, the passion of the Zalgiris fans the last couple of weeks is going to make for quite an atmosphere, obviously, this Friday coming. Uh, in terms of my picks for the six games, uh, I'm going to be very boring here. I'm going to go Maccabi. Sorry, Moshe, because you're going to feel I like jinxed them there and that. I'm going to go uh, Asvel, Olympiacos, and Real. Uh, I'm going to go with Barcelona to get the road win in Kaunas and uh, FS to get the road win in Monaco. Moshe, your two games to watch and your six picks, please. Okay, so uh, my two games to watch. Uh, it has to be like Milan Madrid uh, on on the on, on like you know on the on March tenth. 
No, I mean, it, it could easily, you know what? Actually, no, I'll go with Maccabi Zvezda because this game actually has direct implications on a top eight, especially when we still don't know what's the, uh, you know, what the Euroleague is, is going to decide because the meeting is due this week to actually decide whether we're going with option A, which is avoiding the games, or option B, which is winning percentage. And by the way, there's no way all teams are going to be happy because the first option means that the teams on paper would have had enough games to improve their record in terms of the win percentage as for the other, which is, you know, we won games and you're now avoiding them. But uh, this is why I'm picking the Maccabi game. Uh, and as for the, um, yeah, I mean, Monaco FS, easy. Like it has to be. Same okay. reason, by the way. Same reason. Monaco, they got to get the win there. They cannot allow themselves to lose any ground with the delicate situation in which they are currently in. As for my picks, I don't think that Maccabi won in Belgrade in the past, I think since the 2019-2020 season. Actually, even then, they didn't win in Belgrade. So, yikes. I'm going to go with Zvezda simply for that, and so you can blame me for jinxing Zvezda after. Um, I'm going with Basconia Ardu, a Basconia win. It's time. I mean, they lost two games really near the end. They cannot allow themselves to do that again. Olympiacos and I want to say Milan because they're in better form right now. But Madrid, they got to get the win. So Madrid. Um, Barcelona, it's a heated game in Anadolu FS. Boom. Almost all road wins from Moshe will go I to Iris next. I didn't notice that, actually. <laughs> Just... Okay, first of all, because we have to give credit to the new EuroLeague site, we can see the two uh, makeup games that are going to play, be played in Tuesday. That's possible due to the new EuroLeague site. I remind you that. Yeah, that's, that's true. There is Vesda versus Real Madrid and Basconia versus Fes. And, uh, okay, we're just mentioning them. And okay, no, then I would like to change my my, my uh, prediction for the Maccabi game. No, I'm picking Maccabi. I did not know that Zvezda are playing two games this week. Yes. So, Maccabi. Okay, okay. Uh, Aris, go on with your, from the set round, the two to watch in your six picks, please. Okay, so uh, I think that Real Madrid versus Milan is the, the obvious choice on a Thursday. And on Friday, where we have only two games, I think that I will go with uh, uh, the not so obvious choice of uh, Zalgiris versus Barcelona. And your six picks, please. Okay. Uh, I think that Olympiacos will beat Berlin. I think that Real Madrid will beat Monaco, Milan. Sorry. I think that Maccabi will beat Zvezda. Uh, okay, let's say that as well we'll beat Pasconia. And uh, in the last two games, I think that Barcelona with, will beat Zalgiris and that, uh, and also that FS will beat Monaco. And finally, Lewis, your two games to watch and your six picks, please. For the Thursday card, I'll take Real Milano. Um, Milano need a win just to get a bit of a gap. And Real are in a real slide um, domestically and in EuroLeague, so they could... They could really use the win. And for a Friday card, FS Monaco, which in current circumstances has turned into a bit of a playoff scrap. And FS 
really want to get that home court advantage. So watch out Olympiacos. Um, only thing I want to add is, Joe, Moshe, I'll let you, I'll let you have your change pick because it is the only time that Maccabi will win in Belgrade this season. Um, probably the only time they'll play there as well. Uh, I digress. So, well, like, we, we, we kind of figured that was the point when you said the young they'll win, Lewis. You didn't really need to gild the lily there, you know? <laughs> you know, he's very great for someone who cannot hold his liquor. Yeah. Uh, no. uh, okay, so I'm going with I'm going with a home sweep for the Thursday card. So Zvezda, Asvel, Alba, Real. And then I'm going the complete opposite way. I'm going with an away team sweep for the Friday card. So Barca, FS. So normally we'll give you all our social handles to say goodbye, but uh, I think it's a little bit of a change this week. So the show handle is elsweet 16 show on Twitter, but the show hand, the handle we really want to share this week because it's one worth following because we've been following it the whole time. Alex underscore Prosciutto, uh, and it's uh, uh, the Prosciutto spelled P-R-O-S-H-U-T-A. And if you follow that, that's probably going to do more good for all of us than following any of our social handles this week. Uh, for Lewis Cameron, for Aris Barkas, and for Moshe Barda, uh, apart from one more thing Moshe's going to say, uh, I've been Emmett Ryan. Thanks very much for joining the show. Moshe, sign us off, as you always do. Till next time. Great pass from Diomantidis. The lob is done! Here we go, 40 minutes to a title. David Blue to three. On the mark, David Blue! Now Spinelli's drives inside. Look for the Sweet 16, exactly what you need.